Psalm 119, verse 97. Here's what David said. He said, oh, how I love your law. It is meditation. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light to my path. I have sworn and I have confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statues forever to the very end. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and give us ears to hear and a heart to receive everything that you have for us. And Lord, most of all, I pray that you'd be present. You're the great teacher. Lord, let people hear from you, not from me. Lord, let your word come alive tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, uh, like I said, last week I told you that, that this week would be our last, but uh, I got several different questions on a particular subject. So I'm going to tackle that next week. But uh, tonight, I want to tackle a very, very interesting question that somebody had asked me um, probably a couple months ago before I started down this, this journey. And um, they asked me a question. And I, I got to be honest with you, I've thought about this before, but it wasn't anything that I just really just kind of stopped and parked on for a long time. But they asked me a question. They said, what's the difference between a principle and a promise? What's the difference between a principle and a promise? Meaning a promise from God in Scripture versus a principle of, of morality or ethics that you live by, such as from the words of Solomon and others. And so tonight, uh, we're going to look at that and we're going to see exactly um, what we can get out of the Scripture as we look at that. I will tell you tonight, proper Bible interpretation is vitally important for every single one of us. I want you to know something tonight. I will say it unapologetically. I will never, ever, ever, ever apologize for this. I have endeavored to be a word teacher. Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There are a lot of people who use the word, but they don't rightly divide it. They come up with all types of devilish doctrines and things to suit and tickle their fancies. But at the end of the day, if we really want to get the revelation of God's word, then we've got to understand some things about Bible interpretation that are important. As a shepherd, as a pastor, as a teacher, my goal is for you to understand the scripture. I want you to be able to understand it. I don't want you to go home on a Sunday I don't want you to go home on a Wednesday and say, man, that was a great message, but I have no idea how he came up with that. 
No, I want you to be able to look at that scripture and understand the context of what I was saying so that you can walk away with the same understanding. Amen? So that's vitally, vitally important to me. Second of all, I want you to know the Word of God so that when false teaching is presented to you, you have an understanding of something is not right here. Amen. Because the Word was inspired. The Word was Christ. The Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But the Holy Spirit breathed upon men and inspired the Word. And so the Holy Spirit can bear witness with us and say, hey, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sit right. So context and um, Bible interpretation skills are vitally important. So tonight we're going to kind of look at some of that and help you. So when we're looking at this and we're asking ourselves the question, what's the difference between a principle and a proverb? I think we have to understand that the Bible is a very complex book. It's 66 small books compiled into one book by different authors. And each one of these books is not the same. There are uh, history books like the book of Acts and we have like uh, first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles. Uh, we have Exodus. There's prophetic books like Revelation and Daniel and there are uh, other books that are poetic books like the book of Psalms and there are different writing styles and different purposes of those books. And so not only do we have to understand that, but we have to understand that each book is a recording or a letter written to a group of people or persons. So we have to ask ourselves, who is the Bible speaking to when it's speaking? Who is speaking? What's the context around what's being spoken? In the scripture, there are many different groups of people, but the specific ones tonight that we want to hone into is the Jewish people. A lot of the Old Testament was written to the Jews, promised to the Jews. Then you have the church, which is... Um, those who have followed Christ and accepted Christ. The church has not replaced Israel, but we are adopted or grafted into Israel. So you have the Jews, you have the church, then you have the world, just everybody in general, and et cetera, and so on. So to understand the context, we've got to know who he's talking to. In Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm in the, uh, the book of Psalms, and it's also the chapter that kind of signifies the middle of the scripture. But David is writing in Psalm 119, and he's telling us how important and how vital the word of God is. David said that the word kept him from making dumb decisions. He said that the word kept him from falling into the snare of the adversary. David said that the word, it energized him, it encouraged him, it inspired him. Those are the very same things that the word should do for us, amen? And so you and I have to take hold of the word and devour that word so that we can hide it in our hearts. So just like David, we might not sin against God. But he goes on to tell us, he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and it is a light into my path. If you want to know why people are stumbling around in darkness, it's because they don't have the light of God's Word. God's Word is to guide our footsteps. It's to help us walk in this dark world so that we don't stumble, we don't trip, we don't faint, we don't fall, but yet we walk in the light as He is in 
the light. And so we got to understand David has given us all of these things. I won't go back and reread it again, but he, he tells us so much over and over again. I will not forget your law. I will rejoice in it. My heart hasn't been inclined to perform your statues forever. In the scripture, we have promises. God has given us promises. In fact, I love what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says. It says, his divine power has given us everything that we need according to life. And it, it says, for a godly life, through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness, though these he has given us great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in what? The divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God has given us everything we need according to his precious promises. God has given us promises, church. We need to know his promises. We need to stand on his promises. We need to fight with his promises. Whenever the, uh, the adversary went to attack Jesus, the gospel of Luke records after Jesus' baptism how the spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was hungered and he was athirst and Satan tempted him. And how did Jesus fight the devil? He didn't sing a song. He didn't blow a shofar. He said, it is written. The authority and the power of the word of God. Jesus said, it is written. It is written, and then the rhema word jumped on the inside of him, and he says, it says. Hello. Jesus had authority with the word. It's important. But by the great and exceeding precious promises, we participate in the divine nature. God gives us promises. Now, anybody glad tonight God gives us promises? Now, I like this because God's promises are good. Here's the way Paul said it to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It says, for all, somebody say all, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him are amen. All of God's promises are yes and they are amen unto the glory of God by us. I think we got some scriptures wrong, but that's okay. It's probably my fault, not theirs. Uh, but all of God's promises are yes and they are amen. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If God said it, you can take it to the bank. If God said it, if he wrote the check, he will provide for it. His, his funds and his account are sufficient, and he will be able to right that situation. All of his promises are yes, and they are amen. Hallelujah. I want to talk about the nature of promises. Why does God give us promises? Uh, in Scripture, the nature of promises are like this. A promise is a statement of guarantee for a particular group of people or universally as a whole. So we can see these promises throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now, the thing about promises is we got to find out who the promises are to, right? we got to find out who the promises are to. Um, I used to really love the uh, promise books that, that they had out when I was a kid. I'm sure they still have them, but they, uh, they're God's promises. And there's these little topical verses and all these subjects. And let me tell you, I'm not discarding that. I'm not knocking that. I'm not telling you to throw it away. It's great to learn subjectively by topic what the scripture says. The only 
reservation that I have with, with these types of books, these promise books, is a lot of times these verses are lifted out of their context. And so you really lose the umph, the power, and the meaning uh, beside it. Uh, for instance, uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, you can't claim that outside of its context. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That's connected to missions giving. You cannot lift it out of its context. So there are great promises that God gives us, but we have to learn how to take hold of them and apply them to our lives. But we literally see them from the Old Testament to the New. Let me give you a couple things tonight, right? You ready? Here's one. I love this promise. It's Jeremiah 33, verse 3. The Lord says, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now, when I was growing up, I had a book with God's promises in it, and that one said that was God's phone number. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now, pause right there. That is a great promise. But I want you to know contextually, that promise is connected to the Babylonian captivity of, of Israel when they had gone into sin and they were carried away into captivity. And you see it on all your graduation cards and all of those things, right? It's Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you. And that's great. That's a promise to Israel because God was speaking to their purpose in the middle of their captivity. He was saying, listen, you got yourself in stupidity. This is not the plan I have for your life because you're my chosen people. I have a plan to prosper you. And then in this, here's what he tells them. If you will just call to me, I will answer you. God was like, you're backslidden. You're not serving me. And all I simply want you to do is turn to me. Now, that's a great promise. Amen? Now, listen. This particular promise right here is not particularly to us, it's to Israel, but can we claim that promise? Absolutely we can. Uh, you want to know why? Because when you search the New Testament, you find similar things that are addressed to the church. Here's one. I love it. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. God says, if you draw near to me, I'm going to draw near to you. You call unto me, and I will answer you. God is telling the church the same thing he was telling Israel. I got a plan for your life. Promises in Scripture are meant to give us hope, expectation. Meant for us to take that hope and expectation and to turn it into faith. I'm glad that there are promises in the Scripture that can give us hope for our circumstances in our situations. I love that. I love that. Think about what are the promises of God. I love how the New Testament is replete with Scripture on how God desired to have such fellowship with his creation, like James Call unto me, draw near, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I love the promise of if we turn to God, God will turn to us. I love the scriptures of healing where he tells us, by whose stripes you were healed. I, I love the scriptures 
like in Galatians where it says, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree because Christ indeed bore our curse. I love those promises that you and I can hold to. Those promises are true. Now listen, there are promises and prophecies in Scripture that are conditional. Tonight, it's not my goal. We don't have enough time tonight to get into all of that. There are some, some conditional things. James chapter 4, verse 8 is conditional. It says, if you draw near to God, then God will draw near to you. You have to draw near. Uh, there are scriptures like give and it shall be given. There are promises that are conditional. There are prophecies in the scripture that are conditional. God says, unless you repent, I'm going to do this. And so there's some ifs and thens in the middle of all that. But promises are meant to stir faith and to give us expectation and to give us hope. When we identify the promises of scripture, you and I can hold fast to them because his promises are yes and they're amen. But tonight I want to kind of hit something from a little bit of a different perspective. What about principles? Principles. What are principles? Scripturally speaking, principles are statements of moral or ethical truth that one should endeavor to live their life by. They're Things that we teach our children about life. Things that we teach our children about work. Things that we teach our children about various different things. But we had to understand that there are both pr uh, promises and principles in Scripture. Now, I want to back up for just a moment. Because when we look at God's promises, people always tell us we need to quote God's promises. We need to hold fast to His promises. But can I tell you, there's some promises in the Scripture that I don't like. You know, you always see people. Let me ask you, how many of you are guilty of this? I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I, I have at some times and places, I've had vision boards. I've written things down that I'm believing God for. I have placed Scriptures on bathroom mirrors and on my steering wheel, you know, different places. I've done that throughout the years. Anybody else done that? You put a sticky note of the promise, right? For instance, for instance, for instance, on your steering wheel, right? You post a sticky note that says, he shall give his angels charge over you, lest you dash your foot against a stone, right? You claim that promise. We want to claim the, pro the, pro the positive promises. But what if I tell you that not all of God's promises appear positive? What about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12? This is a promise from Jesus through the mouth of the, the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit, but, but ultimately inspired by Jesus because Jesus told us this in John 16. Here's what he said. Indeed, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise. In fact, I believe it's such a promise that if you're not being persecuted for your faith, you ought to check if you're living godly. Now, he didn't say we were going to be persecuted because we were arrogant. He didn't say we were going to be persecuted because we were rich. He said we're going to be persecuted because of our stances and the way that we're living our life for Christ in the world. See, we, Jesus said it. He said, don't you be surprised if they hated me, they'll also hate you. That, that's not positive, but it is a promise. 
Here's another one that Jesus said. There was a popular book came out here a while back. It said that every, every day is a Friday, but we didn't get this one in John 16, 33. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. Jesus said, I'm telling you something so you're not tripping about it later. You ready? In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Here's what Jesus said. If you live in this cursed, fallen world, there are going to be problems, obstacles, and things that you deal with, but don't lose your heart or your patience over it, and definitely don't lose your peace, because I have overcome the world, and greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. But it's a promise. Listen, I'm going to make you a promise. Life's not always going to be a bed of roses. You're not always going to drive down roads that don't have potholes in them, especially if you live in Woodward County. Life is going to have bumps, but Jesus has overcome. Hallelujah. But there are principles you and I can live our life by. You ready by this? We'll take example of Solomon. Solomon gives us some principles to live by. Um, if you don't read the book of Proverbs, you are missing great practical biblical wisdom. Uh, Solomon deals with sex, finances, marriage. He deals with loaning money. He deals with work. He deals with poverty. He deals with friendships. He deals with so many different types of things. But you know, there, there's a scripture in Proverbs, I think it's in chapter 3 or chapter 4, where uh, he's dealing with the subject of co-signing. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand how many of you have ever co-signed for somebody before. Because most people, for their kids, every once in a while they have, you know, but, you know, whatever. It's not wrong. It's not a sin to do so. But Solomon advises against it. And Solomon says, uh, if you put yourself as a surety for somebody else's debt, why should they come and take your bed away from you? How many of you know if you co-sign for somebody and they don't pay the bill, you're responsible? When you co-sign, the bank is saying this person is not credit worthy. They don't have track history or they have a bad history. So we need somebody with good history who's willing to pay if they don't pay. And Solomon says if they don't pay it, they're going to come take your bed away. Well, how many of you, I will ask you this question. How many of you have ever co-signed for somebody and it did work out okay? You know, it was, it was fine, right? Okay, I just showed you the difference between a principle and a promise. Solomon has given us principles of wisdom. Solomon also said in another chapter dealing with adultery, he said, let not your foot be found in your neighbor's house, speaking of going in with his wife, lest her husband be enraged and kill you. That's a good principle. But not every affair has ended in murder. Hello. It's principles. Here's one. I don't want you to be mad at me, but I do want to give you hope. Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. What if I told you that's a principle, not a promise? It's dealing with teaching our kids the right way to live, to live godly, to live moral, to live upright. And then when they get old, those principles are going to guide their life. But I want you to know something. I've known pastors, missionaries who've raised their kids right. And they didn't get it right. Okay? Not saying we don't need to hold to it. I'm just saying 
There's a difference between a principle and a promise. So what do we need to understand? We need to understand that looking at God's word, we need to balance the, the, the whole thing here where we understand that there are principles and there are promises. And there's another group here that we won't get into tonight because it's not relevant. But that you don't just have principles and promises, you have commands. Like going to all the world and preach the gospel was a command. It wasn't a suggestion. It's the great commission, not the great suggestion. Love your neighbor. That wasn't a suggestion. That was a command, right? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself was not a suggestion, command. So you got commands, principles, promises. Principles, promises, they coexist. What do we need to understand? When looking at the Bible, we've got to understand the Bible contains both of them. And I think that's interesting because... I've often said that God, in his dealings with humanity, is both spiritual and practical. He's spiritual and practical. Jesus was both deity and flesh. He never ceased to be one or the other. Not 50% one, 50% other, 100% God, 100% man. But yet Jesus, oftentimes, dealing with humanity, gave us principles Yet he gave us promises. He dealt with the physical. He dealt with the natural. I don't know if you ever thought about this. But Jesus, even though he was God in flesh, right? He was God in flesh. Could have called on 10,000 angels. Could have came off the cross. Could have done all those things. When he got tired in his flesh... He kicked up his feet on the boat, and he went to sleep. You know why? Because there's a principle of rest in the Scripture. So we got to balance tonight the promises of God and the principles of God. We need to hold to the promises, but yet we need to work the principles. For instance, let me give you another one of those principles. Solomon said in Proverbs, if a man don't work, he shouldn't eat. That's a principle. Yet I know a whole lot of people who don't work and they're bigger than me. They eat a lot. Principles. Shows us the element of Scripture being both practical and supernatural. I just want to challenge you tonight in my closing statement here. When you're studying the Bible, just really seek to see who God's talking to. And if there's a promise in the Scripture... And you're like, man, that's a great promise right there. Make sure that that's something that can apply to our life. Just because it's in the, in the Old Testament doesn't mean it doesn't apply. But let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When the children of Israel were coming out of the wilderness, right? When they were coming out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land, God gave Israel certain allotments of land. And to this one, he said, I have given you this land as an inheritance, well, I can't read that and say, the Lord has given me this land as an inheritance. That land doesn't belong to me. That land belongs to one of the tribes of Israel. Hello. But I do know there are some lands that God has given me. And so I can claim his promises. But I just need to make sure when I'm reading the scripture that I'm not making it say what I wanted to say. Because I'm going to tell you what happens. 
People go to claiming principles as promises. Then they get mad at God when it doesn't work out like they thought it would. For instance, well, God, I thought I, thought I wasn't going to have a hard time in life because I, I was told this or that or the other. Mm-mm. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But take courage. I've overcome the world. I want you tonight to view the Bible as a living book. God speaks to us in it and through it. He also can breathe upon it and make, make it come alive to us. But in principle, I want you to make sure that we're not taking things out of context. Because biblical context is important. Anybody agree with that? Biblical context is important. I would rather you build a house on the rock than a house on sand. They both look the same until the storm comes. And you know what the difference is between a rock and sand? A rock is a solid piece of matter. Sand is broken up matter with rubble and trash mixed into it. Hello. So when you're not built on the, on, the, on the rock of God's word, your house looks good, but it's got a little bit of truth mixed into it, mixed with some trash. And guess what happens? When the storm of life comes, when the circumstances come, and it beats against that house, and the Bible said it would, because in this world you'll have tribulation, what's on the inside of you is going to determine whether or not you stand or not. So you better make sure you're building your house on the solid truth of God's word. Amen. Stand up.